It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because This Might Get Uncomfortable starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. Today, we are going to talk about writing a book and the process of becoming a bestseller and our experience with having cookbooks, our future as authors. And this episode is inspired by our podcasting friend, Allison Melody, who has the wonderful show Food Heals. She recently started a bestselling book mastermind. And full disclosure, we became affiliates of that mastermind, and we're going to talk about that later on. And as I was looking at what she's been doing with this, which has been going really well, this is actually the second round of it, and we wanted to make sure that we discussed it on the show because we imagine that many, if not most, people would like to write a book in their day, (laughs) in their life, is what I wanted to say. One day in their life. (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of us have this dream of becoming an author, and so it's been no surprise that her mastermind has been so successful. And it's been really neat seeing the progress that people have been making there. And that inspired me to want to talk more about our experience as authors and the book writing process and encourage you, the listener, to consider writing your own book, whether you self-publish it or you work with a traditional publisher. We're going to talk about our experiences. Um, Well, I've done both. Jason has just worked with a traditional publisher and just kind of dive into what it's like to be a published author. This actually came up in an upcoming episode we recently recorded with Jason Horton, which uh, doesn't come out for, I think, like another month and a half or so. So you'll have to stay tuned and subscribe because Jason talks about his book writing process. We've had a number of different authors on our show, and we'll link to them in the show notes along with anything else we mentioned, including the best-selling book, Mastermind, we're going to mention here. That will all be linked at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you go to the podcast show notes, every single episode of the show has a dedicated blog post, which is what we call our show notes, and or resource section. So you can easily find anything that we reference. We want to make it super simple for you. So where should we begin in this conversation, Jason? I suppose it should start, I guess, with you, because you were the first of us two to write a book. Were you thinking of doing a book or were you just approached to do a book and then you thought, huh, why not? Like, what was your mindset? How long did you want to be an author before you did Eternity? I think it's important to take it way back into childhood to answer your second question. Whereas I've always wanted to be an author as long as I can remember. I started reading at, according to my mom, an extraordinarily young age far, far more than, I guess, other kids that she knew. So I've always really gravitated toward books and learning and reading. And even as a kid, I knew I wanted to write a book someday. So I didn't exactly know what kind of book per se, but I was just so obsessed with books that in addition to stuffed animals, I would actually take books into bed to sleep with them. I would sleep with my head like on the book or under the pillow. So just to take it all the way back, I've always been obsessed with the idea of writing a book and loving books. And if we fast forward to 
the book that I wrote, Eternity, that we've referenced many times on this podcast, it was something that was clear to me when I graduated culinary school in early November of 2005 that I had an inkling, you know, of wanting a TV series and wanting a book someday. It, it took its time to get there, but the genesis of Eternity that came out was really accelerated for me, Whitney, when we got picked up for the pilot of the cooking show, cooking channel show, rather, How to Lift 100. Before it was a series, we got picked up to do a pilot episode, and that was 2012 when we sold the pilot to uh, Scripps. And at that time, I was like, okay, I've got this treasure trove of recipes that I've been working on for my YouTube channel and social media and building up. So I had already had a good sizable chunk of recipes tucked aside. And when we got the pilot for the show and the pilot did well and we got greenlit for the first season, that's when it really started to catalyze. And that was 2013, 2014, where I started the idea of Eternity, which was essentially a much broader look at the information and the perspective of the TV series, How to Lift 100, in the sense of, I want to go deeper into the scientific research. I want to go deeper into the functional benefits of the foods that I talk about on the show. So in many ways, Eternity kind of picked up speed because I wanted to write sort of a companion for anyone who saw the TV series. And that was really when Eternity, I guess, started to crystallize for me. Interesting as a contrast, because I didn't intend on writing a book for a while. And then there was like this shift for me, partially, I think, after seeing how it went for you, Jason, and all the benefits that you had. I mean, I think about some of the events that we spoke at together and how people just loved buying copies of your book. <laughs> it's always kind of interesting in general at events, like people just want to buy something. And I've had merchandise yeah. like my t-shirts and such. But your books have always been something that people really enjoy. And I actually experienced that too after I have my traditionally published book, The Vegan Ketogenic Diet Cookbook. I have had a lot of people just buy it to be supportive. Uh, recently, our mutual friend Ross has bought several copies to give away as gifts. And I think it makes him feel good <laughs> to give somebody a copy of a book that his friend wrote. So that's really neat. I mean, it's interesting, all of the different benefits, which we'll get into more of, as of being a published author. For me, though, my journey started with my self-published ebook called Healthy Organic Vegan on a Budget. I wrote that back in 2014. And you know, it's interesting because I don't remember exactly, well, maybe, hmm, let me think about this for a moment. I think perhaps that book came about because I had a successful YouTube video about eating vegan on a budget. In 2011 or 12, I did this experiment and I went and like went to a number of different grocery stores and price match things and came up with like different meals that you could make for just a few dollars. And I made like a little PDF for my website, ecovegangal.com as an opt-in. So if somebody decided to sign up for my newsletter, they would get this free ebook. And I think that was part of me learning how to do more internet marketing and have a successful newsletter. And that's a big piece of advice for content creators is to give somebody this freebie. And we actually have multiple PDFs now for Wellevator. So if you, the listener, have not downloaded it yet, you can go to wellevator.com. Again, that's spelled W-E. <laughs> I paused for a second and forgot how to spell our own website. <laughs> W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you go to the free resources, 
we have what three ebooks now? Is that right? Yeah, our most recent is from Chaos to Calm, all about dealing with anxiety, uncertainty, and chaos in the world, which there's certainly plenty of it, especially right now. We also have our second one, which is Take Charge, which is a compilation of an interview series we did of some of the most incredible leaders in the plant based movement from mindset people to fitness coaches, chefs, nutrition experts. The very first one we did, Whitney, which was pretty early on in our Wellevator journey, was You Are Enough, which is really about mantras and affirmations for anyone who's dealing with the mindset of not being enough, which is certainly something you and I have both dealt with. And they're really good ebooks. I mean, not just because we wrote them, Whitney, like I'm very, very proud of the content, the lesson plans, the directions, like everything we did in those three ebooks. So yeah, for the listener, if you haven't checked those out yet, please dive in. And this was not meant to be a promo of our own uh, free ebooks, but just to give an example. And I imagine that if you're interested in this episode, you're probably looking at how you can do more writing and establish yourself as a writer. And so writing ebooks, especially the free kind, is a really great way to get that practice and to learn the art of writing because it's actually pretty challenging. These ebooks took us a while, especially our last one from Chaos to Calm. We spent I think like months working on that, developing the concept, finding resources, editing it, creating the style for it. You can certainly spend a lot less time. In fact, that ebook I mentioned about eating on a budget, that took me maybe like an hour or something. And I remember just kind of throwing it together, the minimum viable product, as they call it, and just putting it out there as something of value. That's a very important element. It's got to be something that somebody finds valuable enough to download and then to want to continue to get more from you. So it's been interesting over the years developing different freebies like that. But my point being is I made that freebie. I had this video. I can't remember, Jason, I think that you and I did our video together, which was Extreme Vegan Cheapskates before I wrote my book, Healthy Organic Vegan on a Budget. We did that Cheapskates video, which was also fairly successful on YouTube. That was in 2013. And my book didn't come out till 2014. And so yeah, I think that second YouTube video also inspired my self-published book as well. So I wrote this book and I treated it like it was with a traditional publisher. And I did all this research. I studied like how to format it correctly. I had a team of volunteer editors. I think I had three different women who read it through and made suggestions and helped me make sure it was okay. Then I recorded my own audiobook version of it and offered that. I studied how to market it. I mean, it was a really interesting process. So if anybody is interested in learning more about that specifically, you can always reach out to me via email or direct message. All of our usernames are under at Wellevator, which one more time is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R because it's not a common word by any means. So we always spell it out for you. If you're ever curious about that process, I'd be happy to share more. And if I can find it, I will link in the show notes for this episode, this wonderful resource I found. I think it was an ebook or like a course that I took that sh- talked specifically about how to write and publish a, a successful book as a form of monetization and self-promotion. So I did that book and. I think I was unattached to whether I would do anything further. I don't remember the exact date that I started, but I did do one other self-published ebook and I have actually continued to update it annually. And that's for the Natural Products Expo, which I'm really passionate about. So 
A big lesson here when it comes to writing books is to find a topic that you're passionate about and you're knowledgeable in. And for me, in addition to learning how to eat well on a budget, I also was knowledgeable about this trade show that Jason and I go to. And you may have heard us talk about this in previous episodes. It's called the Natural Products Expo. And I have been so passionate about this that I decided to put together something called the Insider's Guide. And similar to what Jason mentioned earlier with our ebook for Wellevator, I went and kind of like interviewed a number of different experts, people that also love and know a lot about the Natural Products Expo. And I got their best tips and I compiled their tips together with mine into an ebook that I've been publishing every year. And that continues to bring me money because of the SEO, which it stands for Search Engine Optimization. So I learned through the self-publishing avenues of doing ebooks specifically. Neither one of those books is available like in a physical form, although I've considered making the Healthy Organic Vegan on a Budget book available as on Amazon or something like that, where you could like, they have something called, I don't know if it's called like Kindle Publishing now or something, but they do have a feature that'll print books on demand for you, which is pretty neat. And so the avenue to actually becoming a self-publisher continues to change. And I think this is a huge element of Allison's best-selling book, Mastermind, which we mentioned earlier. And we'll give you more details on later if you're interested in joining it. It's about actually creating a book and getting it onto a platform like Amazon to become a bestseller in just 10 weeks, which is kind of crazy. But I really have found that you don't need that much time to write a book, especially if you're self-publishing it. Now, it is a different avenue, seeing as Jason and I have both written with publishers. So to continue the journey of my book writing experience, after doing those two ebooks on my own, I'm feeling kind of like unattached to book writing. Something hit me in 2019, like towards the beginning of that year, I started to feel like I wanted to write a a book and do it the traditional avenue. And so it was just something that was in my head. I was reflecting on, I might have put it on like my visualization board or something like that. I don't know how much energy I put towards it. But somehow (laughs) the universe conspired in my favor. And a friend of mine reached out who happens to work for a publishing company. And she said that they had a book about the vegan keto diet and they were looking for an author to do it. And what's interesting about that publisher, in contrast to Jason's publisher, which I'll let him get into more detail on, the publisher that I worked with on my cookbook comes up with a concept and an outline, and then they find authors to create the book based on that outline. So it's a very different process than coming up with your own concept and pitching it. So in summer 2019, I was approached to do this book. I was super excited about it because at the time I was really, really passionate about the vegan keto diet and I loved talking about it. It was a huge part of my life. And I also had been thinking about writing a book and suddenly one literally showed up on my doorstep as an opportunity, not literally on my doorstep, in my email inbox. That's that's kind of the equivalent of a doorstep, I suppose. So I got an email from my friend. She asked if I was interested. We got in a phone call and like within a week or two, I had a book deal. And since I don't develop recipes, that's not a passion of mine. I had to find somebody to do it with me. I got our mutual friend, Jason and my have a friend named Nicole Dursway who we had on the show. We'll link to her episode because she actually talked about the book writing process as well. 
And Nicole and I co-wrote that book together. And what was really neat about our publisher is because they already had the outline, they had a whole timeline set out for us. We wrote that book in like two months or so. It went through the editing process and it came out in February 2020. So of this year, just a, a few months ago or a little bit longer than a few months, but um, February 2020, the book came out. So it was really fast. It was less than a year of being approached and publishing it. And you had quite a, a different experience with your book, Jason, because you went like the super traditional publisher route. So tell us about how that all came to be and what that was like. Yeah, I was really just jotting down recipes and visions and chapter sketches. It wasn't even a proposal yet. And this was during the time that I was filming the pilot in the first season for How to Lift 100. So I have this document and I recall just kind of updating it with, oh, maybe this idea and this recipe and this functional benefit. And it was sort of just this, I don't know, ragtag grouping of ideas that had no form or structure yet. And then two things happened that really helped me to get my proposal together. There was actually just an interesting set of dominoes that kind of fell. Uh, the first one was that I talked to our mutual friend, Ruby Roth, who we had in an amazing previous episode here on the podcast, which we will also link to that episode in the show notes. In that episode, she talks a lot about publishing and reinventing herself artistically. Ruby had already published two books by the time that I was kind of in the kitchen cooking up the idea for what would become Eternity. And I reached out to Ruby and I said, hey, Ruby, I have all these ideas and they're kind of ragtag and scattered and I have no idea what a book proposal format should even look like. And Ruby was kind enough to email me the proposal that she had submitted to her publisher, which at the time, it may still be North Atlantic. And she said, yeah, I'll send you my proposal. You can see the format, the structure, what the publishers look for. So Ruby Roth, huge shout out to her for literally sending me her proposal. And I could use that as a template on how to structure mine. And then the second thing that happened was another mutual friend of ours who has not been on the podcast yet is uh, Tess Masters, who is also known as The Blender Girl, has published uh, three really wonderful books with 10-speed press. And I ran into Tess at my mailbox. I've had a mailbox ever since my TV series was out because I would get fan mail from time to time and, and didn't want that kind of stuff going to my physical address. But I ran into Tess randomly at my mailbox. I was like, Tess, what are you doing here? She said, I'll try and do Tess's accent because she's Australian. She's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm just finally getting the last draft of my manuscript out. I'm sending it today. I'm freaking out. It's kind of crazy. Tess is really high energy. So she's just like, yeah. And I ended up talking to Tess for almost an hour at the mailbox about her experience getting a book deal, what you need in the proposal, what they look for. Lo and behold, Tess introduces me to her book agent. And her book agent talks to me, learns about the show, learns about my book concept. And by this time, it's a few months down the line where I have my proposal like, I don't know, 85% done. And Tess's book agent helps me polish it up, get the last 15% done, and then we start pitching it. So this was, we were still in the first season of How to Live to 100. So when I signed with this agent and we were pitching the book with, this was like early spring of 2014. And we initially had interest from, which is probably known as the preeminent cookbook publisher in the world, which is Clarkson Potter. And we got the proposal over to Clarkson Potter, had a great conversation. But unfortunately, during that negotiation process is when we got word that we were not going to get renewed for a second season of How to Lift 100. 
And without getting into too many of the gory details, and they are gory, Clarkson Potter said, yeah, if he's not going to have a second season, we're tanking it. So they yanked their deal. So that was heartbreaking, right? Because I had wanted to go with Clarkson Potter. They do, who did they do? They did Anthony Bourdain, Bourdain's cookbooks. They did a lot of like the big mainstream chefs, right? So for me to be included in that publisher or on their roster would have been a huge thing for me. But we didn't get picked up for a season two and they pulled the plug. So we were pitching, pitching, pitching. We had a couple of deals on the table. It came down to 10 Speed Press, which is another preeminent cookbook publisher. They've done Tess's books. They've done Miyoko Shinner, another great podcast guest. We'll link to her episode in the show notes. And also Bryant Terry. We've talked about Bryant Terry also. So 10 Speed Press, really, really huge for cookbooks and culinary themed books. It came down to them and it came down to Hay House. Hay House, not necessarily known for their cookbooks. They've done cookbooks, but they're mostly known for self-help, spiritual, transformational books. But what it came down to for me, Whitney, was the money was a consideration. And I can get into, I guess, some specifics maybe a little bit later about how advances work and how the deals work, the cookbook deals work. But what it came down to me in that decision process was not who was going to offer me more money because, spoiler alert, 10 Speed Press actually offered me more money than Hay House did. I won't say those numbers. I don't think it's appropriate in this context, but I went with Hay House because they offered me more creative freedom. And they also offered me, and this is really important because this does not happen that much. They also said that they would co-promote the book. And that's huge these days because most publishers I found, not only in my investigations of pitching my books, but talking to other friends of ours, most of these big publishers, if you're going to go traditional, it's all about platform. And one of the first questions they ask when you talk to a publisher is, what's your platform? How big's your platform? How big are your numbers? Why do they do this? They do this because they expect you to do the bulk of the promotion for your own book. In most cases, unless you're a heavy hitter, they will not do very much PR and they will not do very much promotion on their own end. They expect authors now to do the bulk of that. So the reason I went with Hay House is A, they offered me more creative freedom. They said, we love your vision. We want to do your vision. We don't want to change your vision. I got a little bit of a hint that 10 Speed was going to maybe alter some things that I wasn't comfortable with. But the other side of it was that Hay House said, we're going to promote you on all of our social media networks. We're going to send you out in our newsletters. We're going to put you on Hay House Radio. And we're going to do pretty much everything in our power to be promotional partners with you. So even though the money wasn't as big as 10 Speed, I felt that ultimately the success of the book was going to be greater because Hay House was going to give me free creative reins. With one exception, they did everything that I wanted to do. And then they also, they went to bat for me. They promoted the hell out of that book when it came out. So whenever you're looking at this kind of stuff, the advance number and the money is not everything one ought to pay attention to if you're going to go with a traditional deal. You need to look at creative freedom and you need to look at if the publisher is going to be a co-creative promotional partner with you. That was a long-winded rant, but I wanted to get everything in there. I mean, I think this is super helpful and interesting. And as I said, I think so many people want to write books. So talking about it really honestly and what that experience is like is probably helpful to others. And there are so many different ways to do this. And that's part of, I think, what overwhelms people is there's pros and cons. Like another person, we've had so many authors on our show. This is really bringing awareness to this. Another person is Robert Cheek, who had a great episode. Actually, one of my favorite guest episodes ever is with Robert. And he self-published a number of his books 
if not all of them up until recently. I think he I could be wrong, but he does talk about this in the episode. I believe that his current project might be his first traditionally published book. That's correct, Wit. Okay, good. He's done three self-published books and actually has found a lot of success, not just in terms of building his brand, but financially, because even though you might put up a little bit of money to self-publish, right, in his case, you are retaining 100% of the profits which is very different than going with a traditional cookbook deal or book deal rather, where you are not retaining 100% of the profits. That's a big distinction we could maybe dig into a little bit more. But to to answer your question, yeah, Robert is currently in process of writing his first uh, traditional major book deal. And I think that's really exciting for somebody that's self-published books beforehand. I guess like some of the big pros and cons to self-publishing versus traditionally publishing is that A, that creative control that Jason was talking about. like not every publisher is going to give you that. And some publishers do. Sometimes it depends on where you're at with your career. One thing I want to get into is like all the nuances of working with a publisher and the negotiations and all of that. And one of the huge benefits to self-publishing your own book is that you get to call all the shots. But the downside is that unless you hire a whole team around you, you're doing it on your own. And actually, that's one of the big reasons we want to talk about Allison. And by the way, it's not just Allison, it's Allison and Laura, who have also gotten to know over the years. Laura Peterson has become really well known for supporting people with the book writing process, because if you're going to self-publish, it's incredibly daunting and overwhelming and confusing if you've never done it before. And maybe even if you have done it, it's still a lot of work. So having someone there to help you with the whole process of writing, editing, formatting, publishing, and marketing is huge. And as Jason mentioned, some traditional publishers will guide you through that entire process, and some don't. It really depends on your deal. In my case, with my publisher, they were a smaller publisher. They're not as well known as Hay House, but they were so great because it was a huge perk to have an outline. (laughs) You know, like that's one thing. And going back to Jason's proposal, I remember when he was working on it, that was a lot of work just to write the proposal. It's a ton of time and effort to do that. And again, this is something you don't have to do as a self-published author. But when I was weighing out the pros and cons of working with a publisher, it was really neat for my first traditionally published project to be that in-between point where they already had the concept and the outline for me. And all I had to do was basically write based on that outline. So I didn't have as much creative freedom as Jason was talking about, or in the case of a self-published author like Robert Cheek, or me with my previous eBooks. But I liked having that outline and that guide, and I liked having their own timeline and having someone hold me accountable for it and do all the editing and the formatting, which is a lot of work when you're self-publishing. And then when Jason's talking about the marketing too, if you're going to self-publish, that's entirely up to you unless you work with a team or a coach or a consultant like Laura Peterson and Allison Melody, if you're taking that on your own, like Robert did, it's a lot. And you have to study a lot. You have to be very committed. You have to have a lot of willpower around this. And actually, Robert Cheek and I were dating at the time. We dated for just a few months back in 2010, just over 10 years ago, kind of crazy. But we're dating and I went on the book tour with him. So he put together his whole book tour And to promote his book, he did such a great job marketing it. And he was at all these events because it was a vegan fitness book. He would go to 
fitness events. He would go to veg fest. And I got to see him all along the way promoting this. And we made videos together for YouTube, which I'll link to in the show notes. They're really sweet. Actually, they are linked already in Robert's episode. So if you're curious about Robert's journey, go check out that episode. And of course, we'll link to that as well at wellevator.com for you. And it was just really interesting observing his process. And what's neat about a self-published book is you can actually make it look so good that no one will even know that it's self-published. And this is, I think, one of the things that they do with the best-selling book mastermind is they'll help you learn all of that. And those are things I don't know yet. I've actually have not gone, like I said, with self-publishing, I haven't done any print copies. One of the huge benefits to working with a team, whether it's a coach or a group like that, mastermind, or if you're working with traditional publisher, is they can help you with making it look really nice. And in my case and Jason's case, we had a team of people doing that work. So for me, the publisher hired a food photographer and they hired the graphic designer. I had basically no input on that, but that was fine because they did an amazing job. I love the cover of my book. The only downside is that Nicole, my co-author, and I would have liked if we could have been on the cover, but my publisher finds through their research and experience that just pictures of food do better than people on their covers unless they're like celebrities. So we didn't have much creative control, but that wasn't a big deal to us. They did a great job with the food photography. Some of the dishes came out so much better than I could have imagined, like the matcha donuts recipe in the book. But sadly, the recipe is hard to make it look as good as it does in the book. So uh, the photo is like so incredible. It's beyond belief what that food stylist was able to do. And for you, Jason, you actually worked with our friend Jeff. Oh, wait, it was Jeff. Was it Jackie that did the food photography? Because you got to hire your own photographers for your project, right? Yeah. So as a distinction, I did get to choose my own photographers. They said, basically, we have your book advance. And then we have a separate budget for photography. Now, not every publisher works that way. Some publishers will give you an advance for the book. And out of that lump sum will come the photography budget, right? So as an example, I go back to our friend Tess. On her first book, she got a lump sum of money for actually, she had a three book deal. But out of that lump sum, she had to pay the photographer she chose out of that, as opposed to Hay House, which is a little more unusual, where they separate the author's advance from a separate photo budget. So I had a separate distinct photo budget and I hired Jackie Soban, who also has the brand Vegan Yak Attack and has wrote, I think, two or three books at this point. And we can link to Jackie and all of her books in the show notes. We will for you, dear listener. And also our good, good friend, Jeff Skyrick, also known as the Rawtographer. Jeff handled the cover shot and he handled all of the lifestyle photos. So there's shots of me working out and running there's shots of me in the garden picking herbs and vegetables. And then Jackie focused specifically and only on the finished recipes. And there, how many recipes do we have in there? We had 154 recipes. Not every recipe had an accompanying photo, though. I think we had about 50%. So it was maybe 70-something recipes had photos in the book. That's still a big, big chunk of recipes to create and photograph. And then assisting Jackie in that process uh, was my good friend, our good friend, and my culinary assistant at the time, Michelle Marquis, who she helped me uh, tweak and develop some of the recipes. And then when it was time to do the food styling, her and Jackie actually did it together. So technically, I had a team of, Jackie was also food style, so two photographers and then two food stylists. 
But then on the corporate side with Hay House, you know, they had a typographer, they had a graphic designer, they had a layout artist. So all in all, it was actually a really big team, you know, to make it all happen. And then there's also the marketing side of it. So how much marketing did you do to support Hay House? Did you have like a contract for it? Because in my case, my publisher did, let me see, like they actually put together a marketing plan and I had like an incredible marketing advisor, but I don't know how much they did. They did take out ads on Amazon and maybe some other places to promote the book, but I don't know if they actually had any like leverage on the marketing side. So in my contract, I had to do a set amount of social media posts. And they, again, provided a whole outline for it. It was actually pretty cool because I learned a lot through that process where they had templates for types of posts that did really well. They gave me like dates to hit and all sorts of suggestions. And they checked in with me. They did a really great job in supporting me. But unlike Hay House, they weren't like helping me in addition to that marketing. So what was required of you, Jason, if anything, to market your book? And then beyond what was required, what did you do to promote it? What do you think was really successful? I didn't have any specific requirements that were baked into the contract. I did lay out a marketing plan for them in the book proposal. And that involved copious amount of social media videos and photos from the book. There were no restrictions on that. I had digital files for all of the photos. I created a whole catalog of memes that I had put out as well. So I put out recipe photos. I put out the book cover. I put out memes. I did a book launch party here in LA. I did an event in New York. I did an event in Detroit. So it was like a mini tour. I also did the Wanderlust Festival that year. I did the Longevity Now conference. So I actually did do uh, quite a few appearances on the road when that book came out in 2016. And then in addition to that, I did a giveaway where I contacted different brands like Sun Warrior and Blendtec and Lakanto and Ohm Mushrooms and just basically all my favorite brands. And we put together a prize package that was worth over $3,000. And this was one of the most successful things in terms of opt-ins too, because how it worked was if you bought a copy of the book on Amazon, IndieBound, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, you would email me. I had a separate email account that people would email their receipts. And by doing that, they would submit their email address and their name, and they'd be entered in the giveaway to win this $3,000 prize package. And it was amazing. I mean, I got hundreds and no, maybe even thousands of entries. I can't remember the exact number, but it was a high number of people who entered this. And as a result, that first two months of book sales were really high. I didn't, you know, it's funny, we talked about this kind of expectations in previous episodes. You know, I really, really wanted it to be New York Times bestseller, Wall Street Journal bestseller, blah, blah, blah. Those are kind of the standard marks of how people perceive success. But it didn't actually end up hitting any of those lists. It did, however, hit the bestseller list in Canada, which was fascinating. So I learned that in terms of market segmentation, it was selling really well in Canada. And to this day, I still have a lot of Canadian fans, which is amazing, and I'm really grateful for them. So we didn't hit any of the US bestseller list, but we did hit the Canadian seller list. But to go back to your question about marketing, I just did a ton of social media, ton of video content, ton of recipes. But really, the big thing that I noticed, Whitney, was doing live appearances at those festivals and conferences and how excited people were, as you mentioned previously, that when people see you speak on stage and then they know you have a new book out, I mean, I was moving hundreds of copies at some of these events. Longevity, and, and I remember particularly Wanderlust and Squaw Valley, the big one, I was just moving stacks of books. So I think the two biggest promotional tools were live touring and then that big giveaway I did with all of the brands. Those were just hugely successful. 
I love this inside scoop and hopefully it's helping people think about their own marketing if they're going to come out with a book or maybe it's a dream of yours to do that one day. And the tactics are constantly changing and that's part of, you know, marketing in general is is what year did your book come out, Jason? Was that 2015 or 14? No, Eternity came out April 6th, 2016. Oh, wow. Oh, cuz it took you so long to do the book. Yeah, so tell us about that timeline from beginning to end. Well, so I finished the proposal in the beginning of spring in 2014. We pitched and got the deal with Hay House in the summer of 2014. So from the finishing of that proposal to the actual release of that book in the US and international, it was a full two years. It was a full two years from the completion of the proposal, then selling the book, then getting the deal hammered out. It was a solid two years to it finally coming out. I mean, boy, it was one of the most challenging things to do because I wanted to have the original vision. And this is one of the few points of compromise with Hay House, but I understand why they did it. The original manuscript, I turned in the first draft of the manuscript to Hay House, which was like probably early 2015, was well over 100,000 words. I think it was 120,000 words which would have ended up being at the size of the print and the cut would have been probably close to 550 pages, which is a big ass book. That's a thick cookbook. And they said, we love you. And we, we think it's amazing, but we really aren't keen on publishing a book of this size. Like we think it's a little going to be a little too dense for people to take in all that information. So one of the few compromises was that I trimmed it down to just under 400 pages. I think the final book ended up being like 75 or 80,000 words and about 382 pages. That was the toughest part of the process was editing because I wanted all of the research in there. I wanted all of the data around superfoods and functional benefits. I wanted all of the recipes in there. But I eventually acquiesced to Hay House on that point because they said, look, we think that a 550 page book is going to just be overwhelming to people. And maybe in some cases they were right, you know, because that's an extraordinarily large cookbook. If you look at most cookbooks, they're not over 100,000 words and they're not over 500 pages. So that was one of the points that I really had to take a lot of time. That was probably the most difficult part of the process, Whitney, was what do I leave in and what do I take out? And I still, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I agonized over the editing process, agonized over it. Well, maybe you could do like a book of everything that was edited out of it. Have you ever thought about doing that? Oh, like a director's cut? <laughs> I mean, not even like a director's cut, but like a bonus material. Like, here's what got left out of the book. That would be really interesting. I thought about it. You know, some of the recipes that didn't make the cut for eternity, I still have those back pocket. I still have a recipe journal that I keep in one of the drawers of my kitchen. It's like my secret recipe journal. And there's recipes in there that I haven't published. We go back to you talking about ebooks. I've actually put out three ebooks over the years. I've been doing this, goodness. 15 years it'll be this fall. So before Eternity, I had actually released three ebooks. So between those ebooks and between Eternity, and also between the chunk of the book that I contributed to our friend Jeff Krasno, we just keep name dropping all the freaking guests, who was also an amazing previous guest here on the podcast. <laughs> I know we've had so many authors on our show. It's kind of mind boggling. And phenomenal authors. Like we're obviously grateful and blessed to call them friends and colleagues of ours, but really, really great authors. And Jeff approached me after Eternity was published. This was 
2017. Yes, 20, 2017 or 18, maybe 17. And he said, hey, I want to do a follow-up to my best-selling book. He had wrote a book about Wanderlust, which is the organization he co-founded. And he said, I want to do a recipe book called Find Your True Fork. And I want you to be the one to do the vegan section. So I actually did a whole separate slew of recipes. I think I did eight or 10 recipes for the vegan section of Find Your True Fork. So that's not officially my cookbook, but I do lump it in there and talk about it if people do want more of my recipes. And Matthew Kenny is in that book and Meredith Klein and some other amazing plant-based chefs. It's not an exclusively plant-based book, but there is a large amount of the recipes in there that are vegan or plant-based. So unofficially, my second book, my name's not on the cover, was Find Your True Fork with Jeff. And I'm really, really proud of those recipes in that book. I did kind of my take on Japanese fusion. And I've mentioned this in previous episodes that Japanese cuisine and Japanese culture is my favorite. I feel a deep soul connection to that. And so when he challenged me to do that section of the book, I said, you know what? Are you cool if I do like all Japanese themed recipes? He's like, of course. So even maybe more so than some of the recipes in my own book, Whitney, I'm super proud of the recipes in that Find Your True Fork book. Yeah, you really have done a lot. And to anyone listening who hasn't even written a PDF book, it's all about starting somewhere. And I think writing a book is actually pretty accessible if you are really wanting it, you know, whether it comes about through you just starting a project or you joining a mastermind like the one that our friend Allison and Laura are doing. Or if you are wanting to do a self-published book, or maybe you put it on your visualization board, kind of like I did, and you get an opportunity coming to you. Or or maybe even something that we've heard, and with this upcoming episode we have with Jason Horton, he actually got books offered to him because of his podcast. So you might just be going about your life and get approached on something. And certainly it's not that easy. You do have to put work into this. But you kind of never know how it's going to come to be for you. I mean, that was basically what happened with me. I'm not attributing my book experience to my manifestation powers, but it was interesting how I was thinking about it. And then seemingly out of the blue, I got approached to write a book. A lot of that was due to my work on my Eco Vegan Gal social media accounts. And I was talking about vegan keto. So if I hadn't been just posting for fun about vegan keto, I wouldn't have had that book opportunity. And so some of this is about doing what you already love to do. And publishers might approach you, book agents might approach you, or you can submit yourself as well. You can go and find an agent and work with them to get your book. There's all sorts of different avenues you can take. Like when I went to the podcast movement conference back in February, 2020, the same same month my book came out, I spoke at the podcast movement event in Los Angeles, and there was a really great presentation happening there. I'm going to try to find the information for them because they also will help you through the publishing process. Although I'm a little biased with uh, Allison and Laura's mastermind program, but it really depends on what you want to do, weighing out the pros and cons and what pace you want to go at. And going back to Jason's timeline, I mean, if you want to spend two years on a, a process or Maybe you don't have the choice if you're going with a publish a traditional publisher versus like in my experience of being able to do the whole process from beginning to end in nine months with a traditional publisher. It's really interesting. If you self-publish though, I mean, I think this is one of the elements of the best-selling book mastermind is doing it in 10 weeks. 
And one of their big, Laura and Allison's big missions here is to get you out of analysis paralysis. And I think a lot of people just sit in that place of wanting to do something, but they never actually accomplish it because they're overthinking it. And myself included, I want to write another book. And you know what's funny now that I'm talking about it, I did have another book that I was going to work on and I kind of scrapped. It was going to be called Healthy Balanced Body. And I think part of the reason I scrapped that project is because my whole perspective on things shifted. I was planning on doing a book about healthy weight loss. And this was part of my experience losing weight and gaining weight and trying different diets. And I started writing this book and I created a little program around it. I pre-sold the book and just didn't feel like it was in alignment with me anymore. And I still want to do a version of that project one day. It's not entirely out of mind. It's just that it wasn't what I initially set out to do. And I think that can happen a lot. Plus, I think I did have analysis paralysis. I think I was procrastinating a lot out of fear. I think I felt like there was too many options. And trying to do something like that alone is really tough. I think that's one of the huge benefits going back to self-publishing versus traditionally publishing is most self-publishing is done completely on your own unless you join a mastermind or a program or work with somebody in some capacity like that. If you're on your own, it could take you years to get something done. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that place versus when you work with a traditional publisher like Jason and I have, like you're really being pushed. <laughs> you know, aren't there like a few stories we've heard, Jason, of like people having like crazy situations, like once they get the book deal? I know one that comes to mind is Brendan Burchard, who was working on one of his books. And he had like some huge run in with the publisher where they wanted him to do it completely differently than he wanted to. And so he actually had to pay them back his book advance, which was like some crazy amount. Like, wasn't it like a million dollars or something like that? Do you remember the story? Yeah, I don't remember the exact amount. I mean, it was knowing him probably hundreds of thousands. I don't know. It was a million. But yeah, he submitted a book to his original publisher. They completely rejected it, asked him to write a different book. He said no. Publisher dropped him. He had to pay back the advance money. And then Hay House actually picked it up and published the Motivation Manifesto. And so now Brendan is a Hay House author. You know, He's on their stable. That whole thing of advances, I guess it's a good segue to talk about that really quickly because for anyone who doesn't understand the mechanics of what that means, it means when you sign a book deal, most publishers give you an advance. And what that is, is that's a chunk of money that in most cases is leveraged against your earnings. And here's how it works. So you sign a book deal and they say, we're going to give you, you know, $50,000. Again, most publishers will want you to take some money out of that for the photo budget, right? Most publishers will be like, okay, we need to take 10 grand of that and put that toward, you know, photography. So you're left with 40. So how that works is baked into your deal, and this is almost exactly how record contracts work too with bands and musicians. They give you a lump sum of money and their philosophy is, hey, this will be over the two-year process that it typically takes to write a book. This is so you might not have to take other gigs and you can focus on the creative project we're contracting you for. And it's essentially the original intention is to like let the artist survive while the artist creates the piece of work that they're contracted for. But the rub is this, is that you don't start making any actual earnings on sales of your book 
until that advance is recouped. That's the phrase that is used in the book and the music industry. Recouped means that if you get a $50,000 advance and the percentage of sale per book that you get, which for a first author, unless you're a massive celebrity or have a huge following, is typically between 7.5% and 10% of the retail value of the book. So this means that if you have a $25 book and you get a 10% cut, you're getting $2.50 per every book you sell. Now, here's where it gets tricky, is you don't start seeing any of that money of the book sales at all until you pay back the $50,000 advance to the publisher. Now, that means that every single book that you sell, that's $2.50, you don't start getting any residual checks any checks until that 50 grand is paid back. So what is $50,000 divided by $2.50? That means you have to sell 20,000 books until you start seeing checks from the publisher. Most published books never get anywhere near 20,000 copies. It's not even like 20,000 copies. I remember, I think I saw a statistic that that's putting you in like the 80th or 90th percentile of all books that are published, right? And we like, oh, you know, I've heard people like, I only sold 20,000 copies. It's like, are you out of your mind? Do you know how good that is in the context of books that are released every year in the world? So just to give an example, you're not going to see any checks past that advance money until it's fully recouped and paid back to the publisher based on your per unit sales. Yeah, that's super interesting. And something I want to talk about too is, you know, in my case with my publisher, I got a lump sum. It wasn't quite an advance. So again, since my publishing deal was still like kind of a traditional publisher, but different from most traditional publishers in that they paid me a fee to write the book, but I didn't get an advance and I don't get any money beyond the money that they paid me. And that was actually a hard decision to make. But the reason I went forward with it is A, I felt like it was such an easy yes First of all, I really wanted to write a book, like I said. So I was like, this is amazing that I'm being offered this opportunity. Second of all, I was super passionate and knowledgeable about vegan keto and still am, even though it's not currently the way that I eat. I really have a lot of respect for the vegan keto, low-carb, plant-based diet and thought writing a book about it would be really fun. And it would be great to do it with my friend, Nicole, and give her some work and give her the opportunity to have a book. Because being a published author, we should also talk about the benefits that come with that quote title. But my point being, like, I had to weigh out the pros and cons. And I knew based on Jason's experience and other people I know, all these published authors we've been talking about, like, approximately the range of what you can make as an author with an advance. And so when I saw the numbers for my situation, they weren't great. And I knew I was worth more than that. And then knowing that I wouldn't make any more money from the sales was a drawback for me. But I do still make a little bit of money through affiliate commission. So one thing you'll see if you go to the show notes for this episode at wellevator.com, we use affiliate links. So we have a little disclosure on there that tells you that if you buy something based on a recommendation, we might get like a kickback from it. So I'll get like a few cents every time you buy one of my books. Jason will get a few cents if you buy his. It's a little way to support us. It doesn't sound like much, but it does add up a little. And um, also with the mastermind that we've been talking about, we're affiliates of them too. So again, as a disclosure, when we promote some things, there's something within it for us and we never promote something we're not passionate about. So long way of saying that 
you know, there wasn't a ton of money in it for me. But this is a great segue to the things that are go beyond money or the upfront money because you might not make a ton with your advance. You might not make a ton like with sales afterwards, like a bonus or whatever you might get because you got that too. Did you talk about that yet, Jason? Yeah, sometimes there are tiered bonuses in a publishing contract, not all, but sometimes that if you sell a specific number of copies in a certain time frame, they'll kick you extra money, which also has added to your advance. It's not like free money. They're like, oh yeah, we'll kick you this extra money. And that's also an advantage against the royalties. So they say, you know, if you sell 10,000 copies in the first 12 months, we'll give you an extra 10 grand. That gets added to your original advance, which again, as I explained, is recoupable against your royalties. So that's it might seem great at first, but it's sort of trading that that bonus money or that upfront money of the advance toward your later earnings, you know, which is basically unless you're selling a ton of books, that just means that the commission or the residual checks rather are going to be that much further away. So there's pros and cons to all of it. Absolutely. It's a lot to weigh out. And that's why working with an agent or working with a coach is really helpful to figure all of these things out. And I don't know if there's necessarily a right or wrong way to go, whether you're determining which publisher to go with or whether or not to self-publish. I think just writing down the pros and cons for you is important. And for me, another huge benefit of doing my book deal was that I got the experience of writing and it helped me realize that I want to write more books, which is not something I was super clear on beforehand. And it's really cool saying you're a published author. Like there's that like ego validation side of it as superficial as it might be. We laughed a lot about this in our upcoming episode with Jason Horton. Like it's just kind of fun to say you're a published author. And, and you know, some of us like to have those little check marks on our list or put it in our bios. And that does lead to your credibility. I think this is a huge reason why people in the entrepreneur world want to write books is because it just adds to your overall credibility and that you're somebody who has taken the time and the effort to do this. If you're self-published, like, you know, some people feel maybe a little embarrassed or less than if they self-publish, but I think you should give yourself a huge pat on the back if you self-publish because it's a lot of work and it takes that accountability and it takes the research. It takes maybe an investment of working with a coach or in a mastermind setting. And so I tip my hat to those people, especially like Robert Cheek, like he put so much effort into that. And then if you do get to work with a traditional publisher, that's a pretty big deal too, because as we've described, there's kind of this process of getting that opportunity, whether it's somebody you know, or it's a subject that you're an expert in, or you have a platform that people want to approach, like that all takes a lot of work. And then in Jason's case, like getting the book agent and writing the proposal, that's a lot of work too. And then spending two years on something. So this is why writing a book does give you that credibility because it's so much work and effort. And there's so much more that leads to that experience in the first place. I think it's important for the listener, if you have the inclination or the desire that you think you want to be a published author, it's going to be a lot of hard work either way. To just piggyback really quickly on what Whitney said, whether it's an average of two years or even more in some cases for a book, or it's having the accountability and the drive to do it yourself, I wouldn't call it fun all of the time. There are elements of it that are fun, but I'm just saying this as a spoiler alert to the listener that it is a lot of nose to the grindstone, discipline, focus, late hours, meeting deadlines, whether they're imposed by the publisher or your own self-imposed deadlines. 
So I don't want to paint a picture that this is, you know, unicorn rainbows and Cheshire cat farts. I mean, there are nights where it was like, shit, I need to be up till two in the morning to meet a deadline. And there were a lot of nights like that. And I just think one ought to understand that this is going to be, unless, of course, you're in an accelerated program, like 10 weeks. But even then, it's going to be a lot of work. So yeah, it'll be fun, but it's also going to be a challenge. Well, it's kind of like people that want to run a marathon. Like in theory, that sounds awesome and what an accomplishment, but you have to train for it and then you have to actually complete it, which is a lot of work. And so my hat goes off to anybody who's done a marathon. Like that's amazing, you know? So just like anything, it's a good thing that it's hard because then if it wasn't, everybody would do it, you know? And granted, anybody can write a book for better or for worse. So just because you have a book doesn't mean that it's a great book. (laughs) You know, like it doesn't necessarily mean that you're credible because anybody can do it through all these different avenues. But because of that process, it just kind of says something about you. And and you can do things like get a ghostwriter. Like there's so many different avenues that we don't currently have experience in, but there's so many different ways to create a book. Some people dictate their books and have somebody write it for them. We've seen a lot of really creative processes over the years. And speaking of processes, Jason, I want to talk about what it means to be a bestseller, because that's certainly one thing you brought up briefly. And I'd love for you to dig into it a little bit more. Like, why did you want to be a bestseller? What did it feel like to be a bestseller in some ways, but not in others? And like, did it really matter as much as you thought it was going to? Like, you said you wanted to be a New York Times bestseller and you didn't reach that goal. And I remember you feeling really sad about it. I also remember that you had like certain amounts of books that you wanted to sell for different reasons and not hitting those marks was really tough for you emotionally. So, talk about what that experience was like at the time. And then, my big question is, Did it really matter in the long run that you didn't hit those marks that you wanted to do? A lot of really good questions. I think if I'm really honest about it, it was the perception that there was this echelon of people in our industry that I know that I'm as good as they are, right? And they all have New York Times bestsellers. So for me to be in that club, quote unquote, I've got to hit that too, right? I've got to prove to myself that I know I'm as good as they are and do this and hit this accomplishment. And I didn't, right? And it was crushing for me because it was like, oh, does this mean I'm not as good as they are? Does this mean that, you know, my book wasn't good enough to make that list? Because I felt it was. And I promoted the absolute hell out of that book. I mean, I spent a lot of my own money on launch parties and book tour. And like I mentioned, doing a lot of appearances. Also, a huge part of it too, beyond the giveaway I talked about and tour was, I probably did between... 30 and 40 podcast interviews when that book was launched. I did a shit ton of podcast interviews. So it was frustrating and disappointing because I felt like I had, quote, done everything right and went way beyond in my promotion. The only thing I didn't do, if I look back on it, from my marketing plan was creating a book trailer for YouTube. But I did everything else, Whitney. Did the podcast tour, did the physical tour, put up tens of thousands of my own money on launch parties, did 30 to 40 podcasts. Like, had friends of ours like Chris Carr and David Wolf like tweet about it, send it out. I'm like, I did every fucking thing right in my mind, right? And then when it didn't hit the bestseller list, I'm like, this is bullshit. I did everything that I said I was going to do. Hey House promoted it, David Wolf, Chris Carr, like everything with the exception of that trailer. Why the hell isn't this a bestseller? And I was so not in gratitude. I was so angry. I was so bitter. I was so frustrated. 
because I felt like I had gone so above and beyond with everything to do it right, quote unquote, do it right, you know? And so it was partially, I was frustrated because I had spent all this money and time and effort and, you know, checked off all the promotional boxes. But then it was the ego coming in of like, well, this is fucking bullshit because you know you're as good as they are. It was almost like sour grapes. Like, it doesn't really matter. But it mattered to me at that time. It mattered to me because it was a badge of honor of having that sticker on the front of your book of New York Times bestselling author. And I did it because my ego told me I was as good or better than those other people, you know? But in the long run, why did it really matter? It mattered to me because I perceived my book as sort of an enhanced business card that if I had this book on my book tour and I was, you know, hanging out with whoever, you know, Vonnie Hari or Lewis Howes or whoever we were going to dinner with that, oh, wow, oh, you just hit the bestseller list. Oh, my God, congratulations. It was this perception that it was going to be even more of a door opener for me. Whether it was or wasn't because I didn't hit the bestseller list, who's to say? Did I get a lot of opportunities regardless? Yes, I did. But I think to me, it's still part of this like clicky club mentality, which it exists. It exists. There are people in the wellness industry, the health, wellness, culinary industry that kind of cloister together because they're, quote, successful and they're, quote, on that level together. We see it all the time. I didn't mean to name drop and I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus, but there is an echelon of people. They hang out together because they're the ones making seven figures and they're the ones having New York Times bestsellers. And I thought if I just was in that clique and in that group, I'd finally be validated for my brilliance. And I didn't get there. Thank you for that honesty. And I think that's really important too, because there is a big desire to be a bestseller. And for me, I actually didn't really care that much about it, to be honest, with my book. Although it was exciting when I saw my book hitting the best-selling charts on Amazon. Frankly, it didn't feel that difficult either. So part of me felt like, it's not that I felt like I didn't earn it, but I was like, oh, okay, like this is cool. But it felt like a little fleeting to hit Amazon best-selling ranks because it was just like, oh, okay, well, the publisher has put ads out or I've done this certain marketing that I was advised to do. And that's why it hits there. And there's so many factors. And, you know, if becoming a bestseller is important for you, like this is one of the things that is covered in Allison and Laura's mastermind. I mean, it's literally about becoming a bestselling author in 10 weeks. So if that's your goal, there's nothing wrong with it. It's very validating in a lot of ways. And there is a step-by-step roadmap that you can follow. There's all sorts of techniques. And people like Allison and Laura have figured out that formula. So if that's an aim of yours, take their mastermind. And just as a since we've been talking for a while and teasing you, we do have a discount code for them. If you use Wellevator, you get $50 off their course and we'll link to it in the show notes. So use the code W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R if you want $50 off that mastermind, or you can just drop our name to them, tell them that we sent you to them and they'll give you that discount code. They're amazing people. We'll talk about it once more before we wrap today. But my point being is like, if you want to become a bestseller, you can follow that formula on certain platforms. But in your case, Jason, you did feel like you did everything possible to become a bestseller. It's just that you didn't hit the ranks where you wanted to. Like New York Times bestselling is much different than becoming a bestseller on Amazon. You know, I think actually a little a little shortcut is you can technically say you're a bestselling author as long as you're a bestseller on one platform, right? Like you are a bestseller, Jason, because yes. you were a bestseller on some platforms, just not all of them. And you weren't a bestseller for New York Times or Wall Street. But 
I guess for me, my question is, did it matter that you didn't get on those charts in the long run? Because technically you are a best-selling author and you can still say that. So isn't that more important? And does it even matter to be a best-selling author, do you think? I mean, this is hard to say, right? Because I think in my mind, I thought that if I had reached a tier of acknowledgement and getting the award, right? It's This is maybe a completely tangential example, but in my mind, it was kind of like, I've been in this industry for so many years. I've been busting my ass. I've been doing the thing. I've been giving a lot of love. I've been giving a lot of just a ton of free content. It's like when Leonardo DiCaprio finally won his Oscar for best actor for Revenant, right? There was all this talk of like, oh, Leo's finally validated. It's not to say this man hadn't done extraordinary, wonderful roles in his career, but there was a level of public and egoic validation of like the dude finally won his Academy Award. You know, in my mind, it wasn't enough to have primetime TV series. It wasn't enough to have a book deal with one of the world's preeminent publishers. It was like, no, no, no. I have to win a fucking Emmy. Okay. I can't just have a TV show. I remember I had a whole thing on my vision board of like winning an Emmy Award, right? And I was like, no, 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 I got to win an Emmy. I got to win a best daytime TV host Emmy. Then I'll be validated. I can't just have a book published and sell tens of thousands of copies. I have to be a New York Times bestseller. It was a complete validation of like all the years of hard work I'd put in, right? And when I didn't do those things, because I did hit a bestseller on Amazon in the category I was in, I did hit the Canadian bestselling book charts. But it wasn't the New York Times. It wasn't the Wall Street Journal. It wasn't winning a daytime Emmy. And I guess I was just continually setting the bar higher and higher and higher for myself, Whitney, and really believed in my heart I could hit those specific marks. And when I didn't, it was almost so disrupting for my reality because I was like, but I did all the right things and I met all the right people and I made all the right connections and I put all the hard work in. Why the hell didn't it happen? And the sad part was that, truthfully, I wasn't able to fully celebrate and take in my wins and the things I did accomplish because I was so focused on what I didn't. Yeah. And again, thank you so much for sharing that because I think that's just such an honest take on this. And we have to really step back and think about things like, what is our motivation? Like, why do you want to write a book? And I'm asking you, the listener, why is that important to you? What do you have to say? What value does it bring to the world? Why do you want to be a bestseller? No matter what your answer is, it's okay, but getting clarity on that and also not being attached to the results is super important because it's in that attachment where the pain comes. But if, you know, for me, I actually find my book writing process was really peaceful in a lot of ways because I wasn't really attached to those type of outcomes. It wasn't about the money for me. Although one thing that we did touch upon and I wanted to circle back to is ways to make money from your book beyond the book deal, the advance, the bonuses, the commissions, affiliate revenue, all that stuff. There are a bunch of other perks. So do you want to segue into that, Jason, or did you want to talk any more about the best-selling side of things? No, I just think that even if you don't hit the highest marks in whatever your mindset is, it doesn't invalidate the the value and the worth of your book. Like I'm saying that from direct experience in the sense that I got, and this segues into the other way to make money, I got dozens and dozens and dozens of speaking appearances over the last 4.5 years, almost four and a half years, since the book came out of going on tour, doing conferences, doing festivals, 
doing podcast interviews, doing YouTube collaborations. So even though it wasn't a New York Times bestseller or Wall Street Journal bestseller as I had intended, it was still a way to kick new doors down and kick new doors open as a result of that. So I want to say, you know, even if you don't hit your metrics or your marks in your mind or whatever happens, it still is a massive calling card to parlay into other income opportunities. And the biggest one, Wit, is speaking appearances. I've been blessed to have gone to these dozens and dozens of appearances and made really good money as a speaker. So I think having a published book in your niche, whatever that is, pretty convinced that whatever your niche is, I'm talking to the listener now, that whether it's health and wellness or whether it's mom blogging or whether it's, I don't know, you're a gun enthusiast, you know, or you're a conspiracy theorist or whatever the hell your thing is, there's probably a legion of fans and followers and the attendant conferences and festivals where you can parlay your book into speaking appearances and make money doing it. Absolutely. And that, yeah, I mean, speaking appearances can be incredibly lucrative. Using your book as a form of merchandise. So whether you're speaking at an event or you're attending an event or you know you want to um, have a booth at an event, some people will go and sell their books like Robert's done that at, at veg festivals and things like that. You can use your book to book those events too. Like It's not just like what happens when you're on stage, but just getting there adds to that credibility that we've talked about. And also, you can use it as bonuses too. Like you can give away copies of your book to promote something else. We've done that with Jason's. Like when we've run a course promotion, sometimes we'll offer up one or both of our books as like a little extra bonus for purchasing something. What else? I mean, there's got to be so many other avenues. I'm not even thinking. Of, oh, you know, another great one is speaking appearances is doing demos. You've done a lot of food demos, Jason, at events. Yeah, that's a really good way to showcase the actual recipes that are in the book if you show them in real time. And I've also done stand-up comedy over the years, and I started to create this hybrid of improvisational stand-up comedy and fusing that with cooking demos. And like I said, people loved it. I mean, they ate it up. And whenever I would do that, a food demo plus a lecture and a little bit of stand-up comedy thrown in, you know, I would have lines of people waiting to to buy books. So by taking sort of your unique approach as a speaker, and especially if you're in the food industry, doing a food demo to show people, and then also they taste it afterward, they're like, oh my God, this recipe is delicious. They feel much more motivated and compelled to buy a book if they're actually getting a in-person demo and tasting of the recipes that are featured in there. That's a really direct and visceral way to not convince, but motivate people to buy your book. Absolutely. Well, we've gone pretty in-depth about this process. Is there anything else that you would add about your overall book experience, Jason? Yeah, I just think that it really does come down, as you said, Whitney, to get really crystal clear on what your intent and your aim is in doing this. Because we've had other friends of ours who have gone the route of doing a Kickstarter or Indiegogo or Patreon to fund their book publishing. We had two friends of ours, acquaintances and friends, the vegan black metal chef. He raised, I think, about eighty or $85,000 on a Kickstarter to self-publish his book. And also our friends Jay and Joy, the Jingslingers, will link to their websites and social accounts in the show notes for this episode. But they also did a Kickstarter, and I think they raised like fifty or fifty-five grand. And also, I think the Vegan Zombie Guys might have done their book through a Kickstarter as well. Yes, they did. Yeah. Now, you might think, listener, like, wow, they did eighty grand. I'm moving to Aruba. Fuck this. But here's the thing, 80 grand goes toward getting a graphic designer, 
photography, any marketing promotions, hiring a PR person, and then also printing the books from scratch, right? Finding a printer, like paper and actually printing a book is incredibly expensive depending on the print run. And then, of course, if you're doing a Kickstarter Indiegogo, it's the t-shirts, it's the merch, it's all the bonuses for the people that have donated your campaign. So initially, you might think, well, $80,000. Talking to Brian and talking to Jay and Joy and our friends Chris and Jonathan Vegan Zombie, that money goes a lot faster than you might think. So again, there are many ways to slice this up, whether it's you know Kindle or it's Create Space through Amazon, whether it's getting a traditional publisher, which we talked a little bit about the mechanics and the money involved in that, or doing crowdfunding. But again, keep in mind that if you do that and get 40, 50, 60, 70, $80,000, that money is going to go to a lot of mouths, right? Literally, it's going to go to a lot of people that are involved in creating that book for you. So in a lot of those cases, there wasn't a lot of money left over in that process. But we're just presenting all the options for you to consider. There's no right or wrong answer. It just really, again, as Whitney so brilliantly illustrated, goes down to your intent and your aim and what you want the book to do for you. Well, speaking of that, Jason, do you see yourself doing another book? Well, I know that you do, actually. (laughs) Well, okay, wait, let me step back again and stop making assumptions. I know you intended to, and I think it was like a year or two ago that you actually were trying to get another book off the ground. Where does that book stand? And if that book is no longer happening, do you still feel the desire to do another book or are you kind of over it right now? It's a complicated answer. So I parted ways with my book agent after Eternity came out and through a friend of a friend who's an entertainment lawyer, she said, oh, I've got this amazing friend who's a book agent. You should meet her. This was 2018. And I said, cool, cool. You know, I actually have an idea for a second book. And I had done a proposal for book number two and got with this new book agent here in LA and we were shopping it around and we weren't getting the kind of response on book number two as we had hoped for. Like publishers were like, uh, we don't know if we want to do this. One publisher actually said, yeah, there's enough titles about like food and mood and mental health and nutrition. I was like, there's not that many on the market. So what the fuck are you talking about? I got a lot of really weird responses from publishers about it. And I ended up getting so frustrated that I parted ways with my new book agent. So I currently don't have a book agent. And where it's at is this book about mood and food and mental health and nutrition is it's in proposal form. It's a fully flushed out proposal with uh, new recipes and new information. And I feel right now, Whitney, that I had to take a step back because it was a really intense process in trying to pitch that second book and just getting massively frustrated with the response I was getting. So if I do want to go the traditional route again, I have to get another agent and do another round of pitching. And at this moment, don't have the energy or the desire to do that. And what about self-publishing with all things considered? Do you think you would ever take that on? I think I would because I feel really confident in the number of people that would really support that and would be really excited about me releasing a second book. I just don't know how I would want to do it because I'm very much keen on aesthetics and the feel of the paper and the design of the book. And I don't think that I would go, say, with the Create Space or the Kindle publishing through Amazon, because I don't feel like I would have personally would have enough creative control. I think I would want to find a graphic designer, hire the photographers, get a typographer, find a printing house, and do all of that from scratch. And that's going to require, if I want to go that route, that's going to require tens of thousands of dollars. 
and I need to weigh that, right? Do I want to do a Kickstarter? Do I want to do Indiegogo? Do a Patreon? I am not keen at this moment of putting that kind of money of my own towards a book because not knowing how it's going to sell. But here's the thing. If I were to say invest, let's just throw out some random numbers, right? Because we're kicking it around with self-publishing. If I want to do it from scratch and I want to say put in 20 grand of my own money, which is a very feasible thing. But once the book is done and complete, I'm getting 100% of the profit, right? So if I say invest $20,000 and then I'm getting $25 for a book, which is a pretty standard retail price for a book, that means then dig this in terms of numbers. Remember earlier as a throwback, I said in order to recoup that $50,000 advance, you'd have to sell 20,000 copies of your book in a traditional deal. If I were to put in $20,000 of my own money and then sell them for $25 a pop and I'm retaining 100% of that profit, I only have to sell 800 copies of the book to make that 20 grand back. I mean, listen, we are not self-publishing experts and that's why we have plugged our friends Allison Melody and Laura Peterson so many times because they are. And it's interesting, Jason, I'd be curious for you to talk with them because you haven't had a conversation with them about this yet. I don't know how much it would cost to do a book through their program. Their program does cost money to join. And again, as a reminder to the listener, if you do want to join it, the second round starts on August 24th. So it's just a few days after this episode airs. I wouldn't be surprised if they do a third round. So if you're listening after they start, reach out to them and see if they're doing a third round or we'll keep you posted. You can use our discount code, which is Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R, to get $50 off that cost. But it's a really affordable value. I mean, they're giving you all of this coaching. They have group coaching. They also have a built-in launch team to help you hit bestseller status. They have uh, Q&As. They have Uh, sessions like work sessions. They have an action plan calendar, a private Facebook group. They have uh, blueprint trainings, like basically guiding you through all of this. So it's pretty amazing what you get just for the small cost of joining their course relatively. And certainly not, what did you throw out there? Like $10,000 or something like that, Jason? Now, of course, what they're offering does not encapsulate all of those things that you're putting on your spreadsheet. But I'd be curious to ask them. I wish I call them up right now, like we had our own little hotline <laughs> to bring them on air to find out how much it costs in general to do that. So, you know, what we can do is maybe put that in the show notes for this episode. I can get a little quote from them and update in the show notes when I hear back from Allison or Laura. And uh, you could certainly reach out to them too. So let them know that you found them on social media or email. We'll link to their website where you can check out the course. But feel free to reach out to them and ask. Allison and Laura are incredible women. I mean, I've known Allie since hmm, she took a course of mine, actually. She was a student of mine, and that's how we became friends back in like 2015. And I met Allison through Jason because Allison was working on a documentary that Jason was part of, probably because of your book, right? (laughs) How did you meet Allison? Well, I met Allison actually because we went to a market in Pasadena that we love called Grassroots Natural Market. And Laura was a health consultant at Grassroots, a different Laura, and said, oh my God, you got to meet my friend Allison. She's doing a documentary and all these great people are involved. So it was actually through random interaction at Grassroots Market that we got introduced through Allison. And then Allison came over my house like eight, nine months later, and we shot a great segment for her documentary. 
And that documentary debuted, what was it, last year or the year before at Cannes? And so that documentary is out there. It was just a really wonderful experience. So that was my first interaction with Allison, and she's been a good friend ever since. Yep. And then I met Laura. Have you met Laura, Jason? Laura Peterson. Yeah, yeah. I met her when we went to Pat Flynn's mastermind group down in San Diego. Right, right. So I met Laura the first time I went, which was not with you. I went on my birthday with Allison. So Allison was the one that introduced me to Laura back in 2017, I think. And then, yeah, you and I, I think, went down there together in either 2018 or 19 at Pat Flynn's Mastermind. And Laura's been involved. If anybody isn't familiar with Pat Flynn, he's an incredible podcaster that's really helped me a lot with learning about marketing and podcasting. And I'm part of this group that he does for entrepreneurs. And Laura has been a huge part of that group and shaping it and hosting it. And she's just like a force to be reckoned with. She does a lot of copywriting work and she's developed this whole system for helping people become best-selling authors. And she's just like the sweetest person, genuinely. Both of them are incredible. They're knowledgeable. They're fun. They're down to earth. They're accessible. So all that to say is if you're looking to do this, you have questions, reach out to Allie and Laura, let them know that we sent you and they'll give you some extra care because they love us. I assume they do. They, <laughs> I they think better. Yeah, they better. Jeez. <laughs> Actually, Allison texted me as we were recording. So I know that Allison likes me and I think that Laura does too. So I have a feeling if you drop our names that they'll take really good care of you and give you that discount and answer your questions. And we would love to know for you what your process is. Like if you have questions for us, you can always reach out. As I mentioned earlier, you can direct message us at Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A. Wait, sometimes I stumble when I'm, even when I'm spelling it, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. You know, when you say something over and over again, sometimes you like step back and you're like, is that actually how you spell it? Like yeah, basic yeah. words that you've spelled millions of times in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It still is hard. Yes. You can direct message us on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok if you want, wherever you hang out, or you can send us an email. And really honestly saying this, if you have questions about anything we talk about in the show, whether it's book writing or creating your career or wellness, we are here for you. We love being there for you. That's why we do this show. So send us an email, hello at wellevator.com. And lastly, you can comment on the show notes too. There's a little comment section. You can share your opinion, your experience. Maybe you'll help somebody else out with it. We just love community. We love supporting people. We love to see you supporting people. So whatever that means for you, please get involved. And thank you so much for listening. I was trying to come up with a good frequently asked query for this episode. And actually, we've had a ton of queries related to books, but most of them are like specific queries about books. (laughs) Like It's kind of nuts, Jason. We've had over 400 searches that have come back to our book, our website. And some of them are just so random, but there's so many books that people are searching for. Like I'm scrolling through them right now and People are interested in the untethered soul and the power of positive thinking and the five love languages and all these books that you and I have mentioned, Shel Silverstein's books. Like anytime we've mentioned a book, (laughs) it's led somebody to our site somehow, which is kind of cool. A couple other authors we've had on our show have been Chris Gillibo. So we talked about him, his process with the Money Tree book. That was another one of my favorite episodes. We had Mark Victor Hansen on our show who 
co-wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. And he talked about his book, which I believe is called The Power of Yes, or it's something about asking. I think it's ask exclamation point. And he co-wrote that with his wife, which is really neat. So that's another great episode. Please check out the show notes for everything we've discussed because we've talked about a lot of things. That'll have the link to the best-selling book mastermind and the discount code reminder for you. That'll have a link to all the episodes with these amazing authors we've talked about today. So you can continue to dig in. And these authors have really opened up. Like Robert Cheek had one of the most vulnerable episodes that we've ever recorded. Ruby Roth really got into the creative process. Chris Gillibo shared about what it was like to launch a book during the pandemic. It's just been super fascinating to learn from all these authors over these years. So we'll continue to bring lots of great episodes coming up. We've been teasing the one with Jason Horton, which is really good about his author experience. And there's just so much more coming your way. We release episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Friday are our guest episode days. Monday and Wednesdays, it's just the two of us talking about things. If you ever have suggestions about topics you want us to explore, let us know. And I think that's about it. Is there anything else you would add in to this subject, Jason, before we wrap up today? No, I just think that it's a wonderful thing to have a book out in the world. I think especially in this increasingly digital age where things are kind of amorphous and not super tangible, that having a physical printed book in the world is just a very cool thing. It's, it feels a little bit old school, but that's why I like it. You know, it's very analog. It's something that is photos and words and thoughts and ideas and creativity on paper. And there's just something to me that is really, really special about having that and putting that out into the world. So with that, dear listener, we appreciate you being with us as we went through this deep dive of what it's like to be published authors and all the ins and the outs. And I'm sure there are nitty gritty specifics that we didn't cover. So if you want any more information, of course, Allison and Laura's program will do a much deeper dive into helping you become a published author. And you can reach out to us, as Whitney mentioned, on all of the social media networks. Our handle is at Wellevator. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, and TikTok. And for all the resources, go to our website. It's wellevator.com for all the free eBooks we mentioned. We have some really wonderful online courses, and you will find even more wonderful resources to assist you in your well-being mentally, physically, spiritually there. Until next time, thanks for getting uncomfortable with us. If you did get uncomfortable, maybe this brought up some things about the idea of becoming an author that made you feel uncomfortable. But Thanks for being with us and joining us as always. Your support means the world to us and we will catch you for another episode very, very soon. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 